Psalm chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. We're in the middle of a series in the Psalms. We're going to do the first 10 Psalms, so we're partway there. I think the plan will be after that to go back to uh, 1 Corinthians and try to make some more headway there. But don't hold me to it. We'll see. You may remember last week I said Psalm 3 was sometimes called the morning psalm. Psalm 4, then, is called the evening psalm. And in fact, some uh, translations or, or editions of the Bible actually say that. In psalm 3, they'll say the morning psalm, Psalm 4, the evening psalm. And, and, and that's what's it's communicating together to us that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are tied together. They're meant to go together. They're like uh, peas and carrots, if you like. They uh, have uh, one with the other, and that's because they hit the same theme. I, we don't know for sure if Psalm 4 is taking place because of the same situation as Psalm 3, if you remember from last week when David had to flee from his son's rebellion. Uh, but if not, it's something very similar to it, so same occasion. And, and at the end of each, or in the, uh, 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 part of the theme of each is sleep. Um, my God desires to give his people sleep, sound sleep. And so both of these psalms show the possibility of sound peaceful sleep in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And Psalm 4 shows the place of prayer in that. And I think you should give this attention. Uh, you'll do this every day of your life. Sleep. And I think it's very kind of God to teach us even how to sleep. And so that's what God is doing for you. He's discipling you in your sleep. Uh, he, he's doing that. So let, let me relate to it this way. Some of us are against the government intrusion. The government... Uh, transgressing beyond its boundaries. We'll talk about that in a minute. They, the government is telling us to do things that it may or may not have any business to do, but it's been doing that for a long time. Um, the government even tells you how far apart the studs in your bedroom walls have to be spaced, right? And, and here God is entering into your bedroom, into your very bed, and he's going to teach you the way to sleep well before him. I hope you can accept that discipleship before him. That's the kind of care he has of you. Let me uh, read uh, the entirety of Psalm 4, pray from Psalm 119, and then show you a bit about the structure, and uh, then we'll start with singing. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears uh, when I call to him. Be angry. I, I think probably a little better than be angry. Here, it, it might not set you on the trajectory to understand exactly what he's saying here. It's like kind of be in awe. Tremble. So tremble. Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us joy in my heart? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. 
You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Father, you have given your word as a lamp and a light to our feet and path. And so, God, help us to understand that. And so keep your righteous rules. Um, Even when we're severely afflicted, we pray that you would give us life according to your word. And so, God, now would you please teach it to us. Our lives are um, fragile. We're often in trouble. But even in in those circumstances, God, teach us to not forget your law. Even when this world lays snares for us, even when the devil lays a trap for us, teach us not to stray from your precepts. Your testimonies, O God, are our heritage. They're our heritage forever. You've given them to us and to our children forever. And so may they be the joy of our hearts. May you incline our hearts now to your word that we might do them. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 4 has three sections. Verse 1, we have this prayer. David is speaking to God. And then in verses 2 to 5, David turns from speaking to God, being encouraged in God in his very difficult circumstances. Then he directly addresses his enemies. So he gains courage in prayer. And now he boldly confronts those who are uh, doing harm to him. And then in verses 6 and 8, he turns again to speak to God. So what I want to do is I want to talk, first of all, about singing. And this little uh, subtitle or the title to Psalm 4. And then prayer and then courage and then sleep. So that's the outline for them. So singing. We have this title. I didn't read it. I should have. I forgot to. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. The word choir master there is more literally chief musician. Um, I have a slide for you. Uh, is that right? There it is. Okay, so the chief musician was stringing the Psalm of David. If, if you would go to First Chronicles 15, I believe that's what this text is here. Um, it says, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to, uh, to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on the musical instruments. Let me note that. The worship of God is supposed to be loud. I think the one qualification in the Bible for whether or not worship is good is volume. You see it again and again and again in the Bible. It's loud. We worship God with some volume. Um, So they're supposed to play loudly. Um, And so I want to encourage you in it. I I don't mean that as a joke. It is good to worship God. It's an encouragement to others to play loudly. So they're supposed to play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals, to raise shouts of joy. So the Levites appointed Herman, the son of Joel, and his brothers Asaph. You'll note that name in the Psalms later on. The son of Barakiah, and of the sons of Merari, the brothers Ethan, the sons of Cushiah. And, and with them, their brothers of the second order. So notice that there's some ordering among the worship leaders. So this psalm begins with a title that is written for the chief musician. And so among the musicians, there's ordering. Zechariah, I'm, I'm going to skip the names. I want to get, I get to the, uh, another part here. 
Um, just give me a second. There it is. The leader of the Levites, or the chief musician of the Levites. So the people of God has, have, have always prioritized their worship, their music, and it's so important that they put a chief over it. Somebody who leads it because they're good at it. Uh, he understands it. He directs the music. I wanted to bring this out because it's been a while since we've talked about our desire to hire a, a music pastor. Um, somebody who is a chief, in a sense, over our music program. Now, we've paused looking for that for a little bit just because of the coronavirus and the uncertainty with that. Um, and so, but I just wanted to encourage you to continue to pray for that. But I also wanted to point out, obviously the singing of God's people is so important. It's very important that God gives a good order to it, uh, gives leadership to it, and then uh, urges his people to sing loudly and sing with joy. And so, why? Why is singing so important? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why do we do this on Sunday morning? Well, we're commanded to. But how many of you have trouble in your life? How many of you have difficulties? How many of you have sorrows? How many of you had a tough week at work? Singing does things for us that nothing else can do. Remember, David, it it looks like the circumstances in these two psalms is his son's betrayal, him having to flee the place of God's presence, Most of the people turning against him, and what does David do? He writes songs and sings them. He writes songs and sings them. And so will you sing? Will will you learn to sing? Will, Will you teach your children to sing? Songs have the ability to bring home truth to our souls in a way that nothing else does. And they are a very good gift of God. And let's not neglect that the largest book of the Bible has 150 songs in it. Given to God's people in order to sing in all seasons of life, in all emotions. Teaching us what it looks like in those different seasons in order to sing. So this song is also a song of prayer. And it's true, I think, that when we sing, we're praying. Singing is another way to pray. It's another way to express ourselves to God. It's another way for us to commune and communicate with God. And so there isn't much of a line. There is a line, but not much of one between singing and praying. And here in this song or this prayer, David begins with God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. And so David begins with God. One commentator says the, um, it, begins, it becomes us to begin with God, to beseech him according to his goodness, to relieve our miseries. To relieve our miseries. It becomes us to begin with God. And so brothers and sisters, do you begin with God? Do you begin your day with the Lord? When you're angry at work for some reason, do you go to God? When you're troubled in your parenting, 
when you realize how miserable of a failure you are that day as a parent, where do you go? Do you go to God when you're anxious? When you're anxious, where do you go? When others say lying things about you and mistreat you and spread malicious, false things about you, where do you go? David begins with God in prayer. David begins in, with God in prayer. And so just consider the power of prayer. I ran across this quote. I am, I am going to be frustrated with this thing. The great author of nature and all things does nothing in vain. He instituted prayer not as a vain and insufficient thing, but endows it with wonderful efficacy. For producing the greatest and happiest consequences, he would have it to be the key by which all the treasures of heaven should be opened. Why does God give you prayer? Why do you think it's so useless? Why do you turn to it so little? And yet, God in heaven above, the God of the universe, the God of the creator of all things, has given you prayer, this ability to communicate with him, to call on him. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to restore that intimate place of father-child relationship in order that you might be able to call upon him again. God created prayer. God recovered prayer for you and gave it to you and gives you access to him with boldness through the shed blood resurrection of his son and we use it so very little so very little so very little why well is it because we're just so prideful and self-sufficient i mean maybe we just want it our way and not god's way maybe that's it Maybe we really don't know the comfort there is in God. I mean, how comforting he is. How near he is. Maybe we really like to stew in our bitterness. And so we turn to God. That's the first thing we do. We endeavor to make prayer our first response in all things because in prayer we call upon the God of the universe. This little phrase in verse 1, O God of my righteousness, you sang it, we've read it, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does David mean, O God of my righteousness? At my previous church early on, and this is true of every pastor, this is true of anybody in any kind of leadership position, there's people who don't like you. And there's people who try to ask questions in such a way to get you to look stupid. And I was at a retreat with a bunch of leaders in the church, and this, uh, we were looking through a psalm. I don't remember which one, but this, this idea came up. And he asked me the question, how could David, who isn't righteous, talk about his righteousness? He's trying to get me to not, I, that I wouldn't know. Not, I honestly didn't know how to answer him. I was very nervous. And yet it came out into my mind that, well, David here isn't talking about being actually perfect, sinless. He's talking about in this circumstance for God the judge to look down on David and those opposing David and in that circumstance David is in the right. 
David is the righteous one. And he's asking God, who sees it, the God of that righteousness, to judge and to treat him according to that righteousness and to treat his enemies according to theirs. And I want this to be very comforting to you because you're going to have people who do things wrong to you. And, and there's, there's no situation that you can't make worse by adding your own sin to the sin of others against you. But rather than adding your own sinful response to their sin, why not call on the God of righteousness who sees what they're doing to you and ask him to give justice there? That's what David's doing here. God, I look to you. You see all things perfectly. You know the situation. You know what they're doing to me. I am not going to take justice in my own hand. Vengeance is yours. Treat me according to the righteousness I have in these circumstances and treat my enemies according to theirs. Wouldn't that be very freeing to you? Let's say in your own marriage, when your spouse does or says something that you do not appreciate and you're tempted just to give it right back or to give the cold shoulder, why not instead cry out to God there? Or when you're at work and you have a coworker or maybe a supervisor, employer who is treating you poorly. Maybe it's because you're a Christian. They're attacking you. They're saying things about you that are not so. They're not true. Couldn't you turn to the God of your righteousness? But we also do have to remember we actually have been gifted the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ as our righteousness. And that is solid and stable even when in our circumstances we are not acting as righteous as we should. We have this righteousness from God. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have the, the, this, this double truth here. You and I, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you actually have living faith in Jesus Christ, have been gifted the eternal righteousness of the Son of God who is at his right hand. It's yours. That's who you are. And then, because we have it, when we enter into difficult circumstances, particularly difficult circumstances where people are opposing us and saying things against us that are not right and we're in the right and they're in the wrong, then we can call on the God of our righteousness as we act righteous in those circumstances. So how are you acting in regards to the COVID-19 stuff? Are you acting righteously? So David calls on God to be gracious to him. Be gracious to me. Be merciful to me. It hit me. Is there anyone in my life who needs more mercy from God than I do? Is there anybody that I know who needs more mercy from God than me? The answer is no. I'm the greatest sinner I know. So David calls on God for mercy and for grace. One commentator said, the best men need mercy as truly as the worst of men. 
there's lots of people in our world that we often think very little of. Do you think Colin Kaepernick needs more or less mercy than you? How about Hillary Clinton? Does she need more mercy than you? Right. I mean, you, we have this list of villains in our world right now, maybe George Soros. And he's obviously behind all of the wrong in our world right now. You need as much mercy as he does. Do you know that? You do. I do. We do. And so we learn to cry out to God for mercy, for him to hear and answer our prayers, because we need his mercy, because we are nothing but sinners called to be saints in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, in all of the arguments over face masks, when you're so right on why you should or why you shouldn't wear a face mask, you need the mercy of God just as much as the person on the other side of the aisle in this one. Right. So David then turns from crying out to God to dealing directly with his enemies. Uh, if you see in verse 2, it says, O men... There's a, probably a little note there, and it maybe says down in your footmen, own men of rank. David is actually uh, making fun of his opponents here with this language. He's, oh, people who think so highly of yourself. <laughs> they're rebelling against the king. They're rebelling against God's king. And David uses a term of respect as a backhanded compliments of sorts. He is helping them to see their pride and vanity. So for the next four verses, he's going to directly address his enemies. David is in trouble. He's called on God. And he has seen God's mercy. And now he's strengthened for the battle. So David, Spurgeon says, goes from the prayer closet to the field of battle. I think that should be a regular way in our life. We call on God in prayer and it strengthens us for the day. We call on God in prayer and it helps us deal with the difficult people in our lives and maybe just helps us to deal with us and that's enough difficulty for you. Now David is in a place of honor. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? David has been placed by God in a position of honor, a position of authority. He is God's anointed king. And if you remember back to Psalm 3, his enemies are using his sin to undermine his position of authority. They say because David has such great sin, he is no longer worthy of this position of authority, even though God has not removed him from it. And so they're rebelling it. They're taking David's position of authority and wanting to turn it into a place of shame. They're rebelling against the one God has placed in authority. They want to condemn him because of his sin, but God has placed him in the position of honor and authority and respect. The Bible tells us to give honor to the one that's due, and they refuse to do it. 
And as I read this psalm, and one of the things I think of all the time is where are we as Pine Grove in danger? Where is the place where our own sinful inclinations place us in a place of danger for disobedience? And I don't know if there's any greater place for us Americans than in our rebelliousness against anybody and any authority. Where we take those in positions of honor and we don't give it to them at all. We refuse it. So just think along with me here for a moment. Just give me your ear. There are in our world, there is in our world, three spheres of authority, three different realms. We have the household or the family, the church, and the state, the civil sphere, correct? And each of those spheres, God has placed people in positions of authority and honor. Who is it in the household? Well, it's the husband over the wife and the father and the mother over the children. How about in the church? Who is in the position of honor? Well, we have pastors and elders and deacons. All right? Raise your hand if you're a pastor, elder, or deacon here. Yep, right? So God has placed these men in positions of honor. How about in the civil sphere? Who, who dwells in the position of honor there? Well, we have governors and presidents and legislators and judges and police officers and employers and owners. And so, in David's situation, they are rebelling against the one in authority. And so, this is a, a good opportunity for you to consider how you are relating to those in authority in places of honor. Are you turning their honor into shame? Are you turning their honor into shame? In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And children, you can apply that to your parents. So kids, are you honoring your parents? Do you do what they say to do? Are you honoring them? When they ask you to do something, is it a why or a yes, mom? Because the why is just a little rebellion, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you know why. It just matters if you do it. You don't lack information at that point. You lack love and honor. (laughs) How about wives to your husbands? Do you respect your husband? Or do you give him lip consistently? Do you give him verbal beatdowns whenever he asks you to do anything or whenever he disagrees with him? Are you respectful and honoring towards your husband? How about towards your elders and pastors and deacons? How about towards government officials? You know how difficult it is in our society to lead the society right now, right? You know how difficult it is. I doubt any of us would do half as well as any of them are doing trying to lead during this stuff right now. 
And you know we should disagree. You know we live in a constitutional republic. You know that we need to make our voices heard. You know that the people in America are given the constitutional authority. The government resists, uh, rests on the people. Yes, 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 yes. But do you have submission towards the police officers in our city, towards those elected, towards your employer? David then goes on to tell rebels how they should repent. First, he reminds his enemies that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. I want to end with that. I think it's one of the most delightful verses in all the Bible. The Lord hears when I call. So he's looking at the enemies and saying, you're messing with somebody that the God has set apart for himself. He'll hear me when I call out to him. You better be careful. That's what he's doing with that verse. Then after that, in verses 4 and 5, he tells rebels how to repent. Fear God. That's what the be angry is. Tremble before him. So the reason that we rebel against authority in our life is because we do not fear God. So wherever you find yourself rebelling against authority, the ultimate root is a rebellion against God because you don't fear him. So fear God, don't sin, ponder in your own hearts on your own bed. And I was thinking, put this in turn, what does that mean? Ponder in your own hearts on your own bed. Did your parents ever say, I want you to go to, room, to your room and think about what you did? I think that's what David's doing here. <laughs> You're so yipping about what the authorities are in your life. Just go to your room and think about your own stuff, would you? Or to put it in more biblical terms, uh, check out the plank in your own eye before you run about the speck in somebody else's eye. And so do that. Be quiet for a bit. Offer right sacrifice. Offer right worship. They're, these people are worshipers, but their worship is vain. Worship the Lord truly. Worship the Lord from a pure heart. Worship the Lord with all your heart and put your trust in the Lord. So here we have Psalm 2. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Turn from your rebellion to the Lord. That's how rebels should repent. That's how rebels should repent. Sinner, here's a poem for you. Sinner is your heart at rest, is your bosom void of fear. Art thou not by guilt oppressed? Speak not conscience in thy ear. Can this world afford thee bliss? Can it chase away thy gloom? Flattering, false, and vain it is, trembling at the world's doom. Think, O sinner, on thy end. See the judgment day appear. Thither must thy spirit wend, thy, there thy righteous sentence hear. Wretched, ruined, helpless soul, too a Savior's blood apply. He alone can make the whole fly to Jesus, sinner fly. That's what David's telling us to do here. But he's not speaking here to God's beloved people. He's speaking here to those who are rebelling against God's beloved people. He's speaking here to your enemies. But they're not here, so I'm speaking to you. <laughs> but you can take a psalm like this and apply it to your life when you face opposition. How will you speak to your enemies? Here you go. Call them to repentance. Don't take it. Call them to Jesus. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. He will take care of you. And when you learn to do that, when you learn prayer and courage and confidence, then in verses 7 and 8, you can sleep. 
I think these final three verses are some of the most attractive in the Bible, aren't they? Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. This is the blessing from Numbers. We're going to close with it. Numbers chapter 6. I want to quote it correctly. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Lord, lift up your beauty upon me. Lord, give it to me. Lord, you put more heart in my, or more joy in my heart than when the grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I thought, rather than just taking time to unpack what that means, because I think we get it, can I ask you, do you think it can actually happen for you? Can you actually experience this? And if so, how? Because I think sometimes we come to these verses, we just, we read them, we maybe even believe them, but we might think it's for somebody else, or we just kind of gloss over them real quickly and don't consider, what, what is it, how, how do you actually do this? How? How? How do I actually live this? How is this more than just one of those great platitudes in the Bible, more joy in my heart than in a businessman's business just going bonkers in sales? How can I have more joy there? How can I have more joy than somebody like that? Is that real? How can this be real for me? How can it come home to me? How can it come home to me? Let's just look at Psalm 4 in closing on how that can happen. First, it's, it, it is joy in the Lord. And in order to know the joy in the Lord, you do have to know the gospel. We see the gospel very clearly in verse 3. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. You see God's sovereign choosing and care over you. And to know joy in your heart that abounds more than full granaries, you have to know the Lord's picking you. The Lord's adopting you. He has set apart the godly for himself. This is us. He has set you apart for him. There is joy. He has set you apart for himself. He hasn't set you apart for some amazing work you're going to do in this world. He, he hasn't set you apart for riches and wealth and beauty. He has set you apart. He has chosen you for himself. Mine. You're mine. He has elected you for one purpose. His. To take you unto himself. So, so know that. Know that. Second, notice who puts the joy in the heart. It's God. It's a gift of God. I think sometimes we try too hard for it. It just comes by living a regular, simple life before God. 
God will give it. Just God will give it. Just seek him. God will give it. I know that might sound kind of like, well, give me something to do. It's God's gift to you. What do you have to do but be his here? It's David seeking the Lord. He's praying. He's asking for it. Do that. Do that. But you can't force this. And God is no vending machine. But how about you just ask for it? How about we just start there? God, would you give me this joy? And, let, and just leave it up to him when and how and under what circumstances. But please do realize the circumstances which David experiences joy. Because I think if you understand the pain and the terror that David went through that ended with joy, I wonder if you'll really want the joy. We're talking about the betrayal of his own son. We're talking about have to flee for his life, living in caves, wondering if the people that he's shepherded are going to be slaughtered. Like he had to go through that to get this joy. And I think sometimes we, we want this joy, but we don't want the cross. We want the experience of the joy, but we don't want the pain that you have to go through in order to see the joy in the Lord. But this is the path of following Jesus, is it not? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And so you'll notice that it's at the end of the psalm when this comes. It's after the pleading with the Lord and the crying out to the Lord out of the pain and anguish. It's after the confrontation of the enemy that this comes. And it's us, it's you and I realizing that all of the trials, all of the pain, all of the sorrow in your life are brought into your life by a loving, sovereign, son-sacrificing God in order to teach you that there is solid and lasting joy only in him. It's... That, that's when we learn it. It's when we follow Jesus that we get the joy after the cross. So you won't get the glory until you get the cross. I don't know what else to say in this psalm. I wish it weren't so, but it is so. I wish you didn't have to go through the pain and the sorrow and the loss and the grief and the betrayal. But the joy in the Lord is worth it. It is. The heaven to come is worth the hell you're experiencing here. Because you get God at the end of it. 
Let's pray. Father, give us faith for these things. Uh, Teach us how to pray to you, please. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to cry out to you. Teach us how to seek you when you seem far off. Teach us really how to cry out, to not hold back, to not be embarrassed by it, to not be so worried about what others think about us when we're in such shambles emotionally and in our lives. Teach us to cry out to you. God, deal with our enemies. Deal with the devil. Deal with those who would oppose and taunt us. Teach us to be respectful and honoring towards those in authority. But God, mostly, we do want joy in you. We, we want it more than we want anything else in this world, truly. And so, God, give us more joy in our hearts than people in this world experience in any other thing. And then, God, would you allow us to sleep well at night because you make us dwell in safety. And so help us to live with you, with you, our God, like this. Oh, God, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. Chapter uh, 4, verse 7 of Psalm says, You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Uh, The charge is pray that for somebody this week. Pray that for somebody else this week. Ask God to fill them with joy in him. Uh, I don't know who it is, but pray for each other that God would give another more joy in his or her heart than they thought possible in Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.